0: I'm Jill Shaw, and this is Catalyst for Change, brought to you by the Shaw Family Foundation. It's nearing the end of February 2021, rates of COVID-19 infections are dropping, vaccinations are picking up, and will only gain greater momentum in the months ahead. And with all of this, more public school districts are thinking about, or are, reopening for class in person, in school. Additionally, Massachusetts launched a state-funded COVID-19 surveillance testing program this month. Prior to their announcement, back in January, Dr. Deanne Galston, the superintendent of Watertown Public Schools, launched a COVID-19 surveillance testing program in Watertown and started bringing students back into school. Good morning, superintendent. Thank you for spending time with us today. Um, it's my pleasure. <laughs> well, it's, it's great to have you. We're so excited to hear your story. How long have you been the superintendent of Watertown? So this is my fourth year now.
1: Um, okay. I started back in 2017.
0: Okay. And this, uh, you were a superintendent before this as well?
1: I was an assistant superintendent. So this is my first uh, position as a superintendent here in Watertown. All right. So you got to ride the COVID
0: wave as part of your first superintendency. Sure. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Watertown, how big and diverse is uh, it as a school district?
1: So we are about 2,552 students right now. Mm -hmm. Um, We are, we have three elementary schools, one middle school, one high school. We are a a very diverse community in general. You know, just a a quick stat, 39% of our students come from families whose first language is not English. Mm -hmm. Um, So we're very ethnically diverse. And, you know, I think our community reflects kind of the trends in the nation, um, you know, Watertown's a very established older community, but we are experiencing lots of change in terms of our demographics. And and it's just for the best for the schools to be in such a, a, a beautiful, diverse place.
0: Right, so about a year ago, COVID-19 shut us all down. Mm-hmm. And I'm assuming your school district also shut down right in March, yep, alongside March-19. everyone else. <laughs> You'll yep. never forget the date. August and, um, Yeah. And and so can you talk a little bit about how that's been, how this past year has been for students and families and how you thought about it as a superintendent? Uh, So it's been
1: a a wild ride, shall we say. And, you know, I think that, you know, none of us have ever been through this before. And so it's a it's a day by day existence for families, for students, for staff, for administration in the sense of, you know, when you think you have a groove, it's when something's been predictable for about a week, because right. every, every time you turn around, something new has come our way. And, you know, I think that what we've shown and what we've proven is that, you know, educators are resilient and we are able to be flexible and realize that, you know, no decision is right. No decision is wrong. We just had to make decisions based on whatever information we had in front of us at the time. So yeah, it's just been a, it's been a roller coaster.
0: What sorts of things were you weighing and looking at as you were trying to decide? You know, do we go to school virtually? Do we do a hybrid? Do we bring kids back to school? How did you make those decisions?
1: Uh, With a lot of people. Yeah. (laughs) We had formed early a a very large task force of about 74 folks teachers, parents, um, students, even at times, and administrators, trying and community members, school community Mm -hmm. members trying to figure out what would be best for Watertown, given just what you said. Um, you know, you you have data about the importance of being in person, but you also have growing data around COVID-19. And so, I, right. like I said before, I don't think any decision that any district made was right or wrong. I think that we were making decisions based upon the best information that we had and what that looked like for our communities. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think for us, it was a... a a process of a cautious opening. Um, you know, I think we were probably more cautious than many, but what it yielded in the end is, you know, we're, we're in hybrid right now, you know, pre-K mm-hmm. through 12, we rode the wave of the, the surge. And I think that because we built the trust in our community and our staff and our students that we were going to do things in a very safe way, I think we're, we're in a really solid place. But it was very hard to get to the point of knowing what was the best decision again, neither right nor wrong, but what was the best decision for Watertown? And, and you know we, we chose the more cautious, phased-in approach.
0: Yeah. It seems like that's what is evident as we move through all of this, is that there probably was no right answer mm-hmm. to any of this, but it was much more about leadership and about listening and transparency and getting buy-in from all parts of the community. It, that, that is making it sounds like your schools run very successfully. Yep. You were at the leading edge, though, of starting to use COVID 19 testing as part of your overall tool set for bringing yes. kids back to school safely. How'd you get there so quickly? That's a very good question. So, <laughs> you know, I, I think that over the summer
1: when we were doing our reopening plans, uh, I, I just felt that this would be one of the mitigation strategies. Like, I just imagined that. You know, as we had increased capacities for testing, you know that that was just going to be something that we were going to do. So let's just plan for it now. So luckily, and fortunately for for me, I had um, a connection with the Broad Institute, and mm-hmm. um, they had shared with us information about, you know, their their college testing program. So I think it was a, a right moment in time. So in absence of a state strategy or whatever it might be, it was like, why why wouldn't we be doing this? So. Um, you know, and, and as I'm sure you're aware with the collaborative, um, the Safer Students, Safer Teachers Collaborative, um, there were kind of like-minded people that came together to say, what can we do to get this moving? Um, right. So I, I, I liken it to um, being in the right place at the right time,
0: just jumping in and saying, this is just something we should be doing, so let's just go ahead and do it. Let's, um, let's figure out how to do it. And the Broad Institute, for those who don't know, is a collaboration between MIT and Harvard, mm-hmm. um, a science collaboration. But specifically, you're talking about the lab that they set up to process COVID-19 tests. Right. And they've been expanding ever since. You talked to them, really, and yeah. um, process PCR tests in, in their lab. When you decided to start implementing this, you were doing individual tests to teachers, mm-hmm. is that right? And yes. And how did teachers respond? When you came and said, okay it's time. I'm assuming you had already been talking about testing quite a bit. And so that you had built some momentum around this, but how did, how did teachers respond? Teachers
1: were, you know, amazingly grateful. And, you know, we had, it's interesting because I kept talking about it all the way from August and September, and then, you know, working out the details, getting the contracts, um, you know, setting up the vendors took a little more time than I anticipated. So Mm. the teachers were like, when are we going to start, you know, when's this going to happen I'm like ah it's it will don't worry it's gonna happen yeah. um, so fortunately for us you know we brought in our high needs students right from the first day of school so those are you know our students in substantially separate programs um, our special education students our ESL students and you know especially in our, our subset programs I mean the teachers are they're not six feet away from their kids right. you know they're right in there really helping our, our our students with the highest needs and you know for them, I think if I hadn't done testing, I don't know if we would have gotten us back in with our high need students right away. Right. Um, so we brought them back in September 22nd and I got testing up and running that very first week of October. So that first week, I think they were a little nervous about, you know, we don't have the testing in place. Are we gonna be okay? Right. Um, but once they knew that that next week we were doing testing, it was like, okay, they took a deep breath and I, f- I feel they felt far more safe and secure. Um, and we just moved right along. It was never a question in the teacher's minds as to why we're doing this. And so they just signed up. And you know, I think we're about 90% of our staff are testing right now. So it just seemed like, yeah. why wouldn't we be?
0: So you have huge buy-in, in 90% yes. are, yep. know, are testing. It, as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking, wow, you're, you're an early adopter. Like mm-hmm. We're talking about an industry that is newer than COVID-19 itself, that yes. all of these different contracts that you were building, you were building with organizations that were figuring out how to execute COVID-19 testing in K through 12 environments as you were negotiating with them.
1: We Um, were the first ones, I think, with our vendor to be in the public sector to come up with the contract. So talk about like involving legal and making sure that, you know, because they weren't used to billing a a public school. And you know, so it was there was a little bit of negotiation that was happening that I didn't really even think about. So
0: but yes, it was
1: first time ever.
0: So very cutting edge, very mm-hmm. cutting edge. No, no. Um, it, it moved along, and there, like you're saying, there were communities all across the state who were talking about how do we make testing happen, and there were other towns that started to implement testing, um, but there was no comprehensive uh, program yet from the state, and yet you moved to surveillance testing. Right. So you moved to taking multiple tests, putting them in a single test tube, sending it over to the lab, and and then it would come back either, yes, there is a positive somewhere in here, mm-hmm. or no, there's not, and then you'd have to follow up um, with, with the group, with that group, and test them again to find out who was positive with, um, yeah. with the illness. Was that a major leap? Because obviously, it's much more cost-effective to throw 10 tests into one tube and go run it, but, but more complicated, how how was that transition and why did you do it? So I think that,
1: um, you know, again, since we were in that phased in approach of bringing our students in, um, there was, you know, again, we can talk about whether it was founded in, in science or not, but I think there was a little bit more concern about our secondary students coming in. Um, you know, I think people felt, and it's funny because I don't think the data now so, That there's a difference between our elementary rates of of COVID and our middle school and our high school rates. But I think in the beginning there was hesitation when we were bringing back our middle school and high school kids, especially because they weren't cohorted as well as elementary. Um, So I think that, you know, when there was, you know, concern and and a little fear on the parts of, you know, some staff and even some families about coming in, it just made sense to, to move into the next realm, which was testing students. And, you know, as you just said, cost effectively, I couldn't have done individual PCR testing for, you know, 2000 students, we didn't have the money to do that. So pool testing was definitely the economical option. But it it, it yields the same results in the sense of you find out who has COVID-19. You just have to have the the willingness and the ability to reflex test 10 kids, you know, within 24 hours. And so you Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was going to say, and, and, you know, I think that the hurdle for, for us with that was getting, it was voluntary. So getting people to understand what pool testing was, getting Mm -hmm. families to understand why would I want to have my student be part of this. Um, But again, you know, we started with maybe 50% signing up and now we're up to almost 80%. So, you know, you just, you can't, I keep saying, you can't just think it's going to happen overnight. You know, it's, a lot of it is you go first, and then I'll think about it.
0: <laughs> so, well that that's something that people have commented on is your ability to remain very fluid during mm-hmm. uh, you know this year, and um, and then specifically with how testing gets rolled out and happens. And can you give some examples of where you know things started out in one place and and they've really shifted because you've allowed them to shift?
1: Oh, oh yeah. Um, so and I I don't know what other districts are going to end up doing, but we have three different testing models. So elementary is testing on a cart. So the nurses go around on a cart and knock on a door and the kids come out. Middle school is station testing. So it worked out better that the cohorts come out for their mass breaks and they get tested. High school is you walk through the door and, you know, it's a random group of kids that get put in a pool because that's the way the high school functions. So, you know, I think we realized right off the bat that, there was no one way that we could do this effectively. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think having nurse, nurse leaders who are truly, again, flexible, and we're like, we did this for two weeks, it's not working, let's do something else. And, you know, so I think over time, you know, with that ability to be flexible, we've come up with a system that seems to be working really well for us. Um, and then there's the, you know, you start in the fall when the weather is good with the teachers, you know, driving up and and everything was great. They were walking around and the nurses were outside. And then all of a sudden it got cold. (laughs) Now we have a drive up window and it looks like McDonald's. So, you know, I think you just, you have to troubleshoot and brainstorm and think about what are the, the, you know, infinite possibilities of how you can make this work with the, the notion that you're going to make it work.
0: So you're a true entrepreneur.
1: I never thought I'd be an entrepreneur in testing, but sure. Yes. You're doing it. You're doing
0: it. Uh, how, how hard was it to get families on board as you rolled out COVID nineteen testing for kids?
1: So yeah, so that I think is is and still remains kind of the not, it's not so much of a struggle, but how do you get the word out effectively? Not everybody reads newsletters, not everybody reads their email, not right. everybody even when the principals will make an announcement are you know tuned into this. What is this pooled testing? Um, right. And you know again, I think as I said before. I think as the weeks progressed and parents told parents, you know, and it was on Facebook and it was, you know, then it started to become, why wouldn't I be, te- why aren't you testing? So I think there's a, um, for us, it's, it's a matter of word of mouth and um, getting people to realize that this is important. And when, whenever we would get a spike in the signups would be when I would have to send out the letter that said we have a COVID-19 case in schools you know, and by the way, we have a testing program. Here's the link. And so we'd always get a big spike in terms of um, people signing up after the letter went out that we've got COVID in the
0: school. Why aren't you testing your child? So interesting, right? Yeah. Yep. That's great motivation. Yeah. And, and for teachers was, was there any strong pushback or for the most part, they were ready. Yeah. To
1: go? There was no pushback with the teachers. Yeah. Yeah. The pushback is what are we going to do when it snows and I can't get my COVID test, you know? Right. Or the pushback is, I, you know, I, I'm going to be late today. How, can I still get my COVID test? <laughs> it's like, there, I, I'm, I don't know how to say it more than I think the teachers are our best, um, you know, examples
0: of wanting to do this, like right. 100%. So now the state has rolled out a comprehensive uh, pool testing program for any public school system who wants to participate in it. And, and I imagine is that, are you currently participating in that and that the state is now paying for full testing for Watertown? So they, they gave early adopters the option
1: of sticking with their, their models. So we, mm-hmm. we stayed with our model, um, like we haven't readjusted and repartnered with a different, you know, vendor right. or they, they would have partnered us with the same, but we would have had to change our, our software. And so there were many layers why we said, we're going to keep our model um, yep. But we do get to partake in the same funding in the sense of, um, you know, either through grant funding or at least getting the same prices moving forward. So it's been beneficial right. for us, but we haven't jumped into the, um, the state's program because we already had our program. And that was yep. offered to any of the districts that were early adopters. It how
0: I, I'm just I'm wondering about funding. How were you funding it before?
1: Uh, through our ESSER mm-hmm. grant and the um, CVRF the CARES Act funding. yeah. Um, so that's, we've grant funded all along and we'll okay. grant fund all the way through.
0: Right. Because you, you expect to see more money from the federal government. And so some of that budget will you'll use to cover. Yes. Yeah. Do you think yep. you'll be, I don't, this is obviously very speculative, but do you think you'll be testing in the fall? I would imagine we'll be testing until, you know, we either,
1: somebody says that, there's herd immunity, or somebody says that we can vaccinate our children under 12, you know, I think that there's no reason not to. Um, So yes, I I fully anticipate that even if we're back full time, you know, three feet of distance, whatever it might be, I still think we want a surveillance test to make sure that if there is any COVID that we catch it before it becomes a transmission issue within the schools.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Do you, and how so how full are your schools currently? How many kids are all kids back in school for some amount of time or, or where where are you in, in that transition? Yeah.
1: yeah, so we are we're we're fully hybrid, so two days a week um, for all of our students, um, K through 12. And we're at about 25% of our families have opted for remote. They've opted for remote from the beginning and they've re-opted all the way through till the end. Mm-hmm. Um so we're at about like 75% of our students are in, in person twice a week and right. our preschools here every day, they, they're considered again, a high needs program. So
0: they're in every day. That's amazing. And they're tested and, and they're, tested. Yep. and, they're, and they're fine. They're fine yep. being tested. Yep. That was,
1: this is our first week actually of testing them and it was cute. <laughs> so they're Aww. I we didn't test them in the beginning because I'm like, A, there, you know, there's less and less indication that they are super spreaders. But beyond that, I'm like, three year olds, I'm not sure. And then everybody's like, why not? So it went very well. That's great. Yep. That's
0: great. So how are you thinking about summer? Um, both in terms of preparing for next fall as well as at how ha- from an academic standpoint, how how have things been for kids this year? And do you think you'll need to do some work with kids over the summer? How, how do you think about that?
1: Yeah, it's interesting because this morning before the podcast, I had a meeting with parents from 9 to 10. And as you can only imagine, parents right now are, you know, it's been a year and yeah. they would like to be back in school every day. And then I moved into a meeting about summer programming because you know, we know that we need to be able to offer whatever we can over the summer. It's not academic makeup because that's next year, meaning yeah, whatever we need to do for all of our students, we're going to do it next year. But we do know that there are students who are, you know, they've been disconnected. And if we take 10 weeks off in the summer, then that's not going to really help for that reentry. So, you know, we're planning more creative summer opportunities this year for, you know, any, any child who feels that that would be something that would be good. You know, we've been, and, I, and it's funny because you say summer and then coming off of this meeting with the parents and the commissioner of education in Massachusetts, you know, yesterday in, right. made a statement that we're going back five days a week at elementary on April the 1st, which, okay, we're going to work through that. But, <laughs> you know, I think spring, end of spring is our goal is trying to do something that starts to look like What school is going to be like in the fall. Um, Mm. I don't want to wait till the fall, if possible, to start bringing kids more in. Um, Obviously, there's some variables involved in that. But I think if we can get kids in a little bit more, you know, April, May, June, and then do some summer programming, then come fall, that re-entry back into school isn't going to be a dramatic, jarring experience when you know, these children have been home three days a week. You know, I think it's gonna be a rough transition. So mm-hmm. we just need to gradually this spring and summer get ready for um, re-entry in the fall.
0: Yeah. And if, if, um, if someone who is running a school district somewhere um, in Massachusetts or, or is working for one is thinking about this and are not as far along as you are in Watertown is and uh, using testing as a tool, How would you advise them to think about it? So I would advise
1: people to consider this as just one more layer of, you know, a mitigation strategy and um, a safety measure for moving into school and to realize that just like, like we did, you don't just launch, you know, everybody all the time that you, you know, pilot for a couple of weeks with a, a school or, you know, a grade level or whatever it might be to prototype your, your plan um, and then realize that it's, you can do it. You know, it's funny because I, I think one of the things that we found that very first week that we did this back, you know, for students in November, you know, I, I recruited volunteer swabbers. I recruited parents. I had a, like a, an army <laughs> of like, yeah. you know, 20 people that were there ready to, you know, cause I wasn't anticipating lines and questions and you name it. And everybody just stood around because in the end, it's not that difficult. <laughs> like, yes, I know. You know. So I think we build this idea that, because, come on, quite frankly, we see the lines at the stop, the spread sites so, and, you know, four hours later, and you're still waiting for your COVID test, right. you know? So I think that's the impression that a lot of people have about COVID testing is that it's cumbersome and it's time intensive and, you know, and you have to, you, you know, it looks like people are, are in, um. HVAC suits, you know, whatever it might be, just right. You just got to let it, you know, look at us or look at other districts that are doing this and realize that it's not, it's not that hard. It's not that hard.
0: Yeah. Cause you, I mean, you basically, you have people swabs and kids' noses, right. I mean, that's, that's right. (laughs) And test tubes. Right. And it's not all the way back and it's just a
1: short little swab and, you know, it takes two seconds and for small children, it tickles and, you know, it's like, yeah. And we get through, to talk about advice for other people. I mean, we can get through a whole school in, in an hour, like, you know, we can swab 300 kids in, you know, literally in an hour. So, and get through 400 staff in, you know, it's, it took a little time to get there, but
0: once you get your system down, it's like, it's not that daunting, but. um, So this is really, is really about having a good operational thinker. Yes. lay out a plan for any school or for any district yep. that really can kind of just break down those elements and then say, okay, here's how we're going to execute it at this pace. Mm-hmm. And, and here's who's going to do what each, each week. Yep. Yeah. And That's
1: when true. we started our, um, like I said, I've got these amazing nurse leaders, you know, these two women that just took it on and our other school nurses were at the beginning, a little hesitant and, and said, you know, great. I'm so glad you guys are doing that. <laughs> And then, you know, once they saw how it wasn't going to take away from their daily jobs and it wasn't going to interfere too much with what they're doing now, all of our nurses are doing it. So, you know, it's, I don't know, it's, it's it's pretty fantastic when all is said and done. Um, but to other districts, like I said, it's just, you just gotta, you gotta just put it together and, and realize that it might be bumpy in the beginning, but it's all going to get worked out.
0: Yeah. But letting it evolve is the, is the thing like knowing that there are things will happen and you have to work through them. Yes. Perfection is the enemy of the good. (laughs) And thank you for your leadership um, in this. We, we too, as a foundation started thinking about this back in the summer and trying to figure out how in the world would the schools, public schools be able to afford this. And um, it's so beautiful to see where, how things evolved on the testing side over the past year. Um, But to, watch you and have read about you um, really leading the charge in this. It's, um, it's a, it's a wonderful thing. Yeah. Me, me and the team, um, you know, you, you have to have some
1: people that are willing to just do it and show how it can be done in order to bring things to scale. Otherwise, you know, I don't think that either a it would have ever happened or that it
0: was, it would happen as, as well as, it, as it's going to. That's such a good point to have those case examples and to say, Mm -hmm. be able to say, see, look, they're doing it. Was so important in in getting people to transition.
1: Yeah. And I certainly wanted to thank you all um, for putting together the resources that you put together for districts that are, you know, looking forward to adopting. I mean, it's fantastic that you've pulled it all together and created a resource for all these, you know, 157 districts have signed up. So I think you're you you've been very instrumental in bringing it all together in one place so I appreciate that greatly too.
0: Well, it's absolutely our pleasure and the, the website for that is www.covidedtesting.com or covidedtesting.com. Well, wonderful. Thank you so much. Didi. I really appreciate it. It's so nice to meet you also. Yeah. Absolutely. Any anything you need, let me know. All right. Thank you. Thank you for listening to my conversation with Dee, Dee Galveston, superintendent of Watertown Public Schools in Massachusetts. I applaud her for her dedication to kids, families, and teachers, and to working hard to find ways to have them learning together in school safely. To learn more about how your school or school district can take advantage of the Massachusetts state-funded COVID-19 surveillance testing program, please visit www.covidedtesting.com. I hope that you enjoyed today's podcast. And if you did, please rate, review, like, and share it with your friends. Have a great day.